Rusty Quill presents. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The field was long and wide. It was the example problem in a college calculus class. Assume that the plane is flat and extends infinitely along the X and Y axes. I could see to the edge of my vision, green field, short grass. I did not look behind me back into the forest maw, because looking behind me was not one of the things that I could do. The field was the only thing that I could see. There was no evident directionality to any of it. Every direction that I could choose to walk promised an infinite field of short grass. It was a purgatory of sorts a white room made manifest by nature. I was reminded of the beginning of treading on a false memory in which the main character, Jake, finds himself in a white room with no door and eventually has to learn to tear down the walls to get free, except the field was not bounded by any visible walls. 
It was at this point that I realized that I had no longer forgotten the content of every Raphael Muslani novel. As soon as I left the forest, I must have regained access to those memories. I say, as soon as I left the forest, because leaving the forest was the only critical thing that changed between forgetting and remembering these memories. Well, that and the bear. I was not quick to ascribe meaning to what happened with the bear. The bear made a path, I followed the path, the bear and I stood in superposition with each other for a moment, I left the forest. Those were the facts about what happened. The bear didn't show any care or regard for me. She did not notice me when I was standing in the same spot she was standing in. It is easy to imagine that she was caring for me, leading me through the woods by making a path to the exit, giving me some sort of strength and encouragement by occupying the same space as me, potentially even giving me my memories back. But she didn't notice me. The things happened as they happened and they led me to where I was, namely the exit of the forest. I chose a direction at random and started walking. There were no markers or features on the landscape to keep me grounded, so I suspect that I did not travel in a straight line at all. I likely meandered quite a bit, maybe even doubling back at some points, with nothing to set me back on the right path. Not that there was a path or a sense of correctness to be had. Compared to my recent travels, I found the field to be understimulating. The grass was grass. It was typical and unchanging. It was short, but it had not been maintained by a person in the way that a lawn might be. It was merely grass. The lack of things to look at and the lack of book to read gave my mind enough space to wander. At first, I wish that I had held on to my copy of Oh God, I Am Larry, if Raphael Muslani decides to call it that. I had tossed it into the water, partially in anticipation of needing to get rid of it, and partially as a way of sending it off, as a demonstration of finality. I did not end up needing to be rid of the novel. Nothing in the forest made any attempt to hurt me, but it would have been pointless to hold on to the novel after finishing it. I know that I would not have attempted to read it again, even though in its absence I thought about doing so. I had read the novel as many times as I was going to read it. It had served its purpose. It was sunken to the bottom of the lake at this point, being poked at curiously by fish as they swam around looking for food or shelter. As my mind wandered, eventually it settled on remembering the novel The Grimoire of Certain Fortune, a novella that Raphael Muslani wrote about midway through his career, after he had been established as a well-known genre fiction author while he was writing high on book sales and public regard. It wasn't long, hardly any longer than the first ten chapters of Oh God, I Am Larry that he had given me. Muslani didn't have any other novellas or short stories published since, so there were no other materials to muddle together with The Grimoire of Certain Fortune as part of a short story collection. Instead, later editions of the book would be expanded to novel length by including academic criticisms of the work. As one might imagine, these criticisms were heavy with surface-level interpretations of events and not elucidating to anyone who read and understood the material. There just wasn't enough there to get an academic paper out of. The criticisms seemed designed to fill in the back of a book that didn't have enough pages. In addition to being the only novella in Muslani's catalog, it was also unique in that it was the only book in his oeuvre to be entirely a work of magical fantasy. There is no science fiction or time travel to explain the events of the story. There are no aliens that capture or study the main character. Muslani's science fiction stories usually offer little in the way of explanation for why something is happening, but the grimoire of certain fortune offers none at all because it doesn't have to. No one has to be motivated to act against the protagonist. The magic does what it does without any input from a malicious actor. It's like a man versus nature novel in that way. Except that the nature is something far different from our own, and it's a nature that can't be broken down and its root causes explained. 
The novel is about a librarian named Nathan Hofstadter who spends the majority of his time overseeing a small town library that sees very little traffic. It is so underutilized that many in town wish to see it shut down to save funds and have the books transferred to the nearest city. But anytime someone brings this up at town meetings, they inexplicably show up to the next town hall and recant their objections to the library. Eventually, this strange compulsion stifles any effort to shut the library down. One night, while checking the returned books bin at the front of the library, Nathan discovers a novel titled The Grimoire of Certain Fortune. It looks expensive and leather-bound, and he does not remember seeing it before. Nathan is the only librarian at the library, and he oversees every single checkout, so he does not understand how such a distinctive-looking book could be checked out and returned without him being aware of it. He decides that it must instead be a donation that someone was making, but was too lazy to donate the book by coming inside and handing it over at the desk. Regardless, it was now property of the library. He returns to his desk and flips open the book, curious as to what might be inside of it. At first there is nothing, no words on the page. He flips through them, confused, wondering why what is ostensibly a journal would have such an ornate cover and such a specific title as The Grimoire of Certain Fortune. It didn't seem like the title of a book that someone would use to catalog their plans, thoughts, and feelings. He looked at the pages closely, searching for evidence of invisible ink or any other methods of covertly delivering a message, and did not see anything of note. It is only once Nathan flips back to the first page of the book that he sees that it has begun to fill with information as he has been investigating the other pages. The first thing on the page, bolded and centered, is his name in all capital letters, Nathan Hofstadter. Nathan, having no conscious prior exposure to magic, though whatever was going on with the people trying to close down the library was definitely magical in retrospect, finds himself quite alarmed by this. He calls out to whomever in the library might be playing this strange trick on him, but he is alone. The book is acting of its own volition. Word by word, the book begins to provide instructions. It instructs him by name to travel to a certain part of town. It is an abandoned piece of land where a park used to be before the town found itself unable to fund its upkeep and shut it down due to safety concerns. It instructs him to reach his fingers into the porpoise fountain's blowhole and pull out a key that was hidden inside. It tells him that this is something that must be done tonight if it is to be done at all. More curious than afraid, Nathan does this, half expecting to pull out a handful of spiders instead of a key. Much to his dismay, there actually is a key inside of the fountain. Consulting the book from there, he is instructed to go to an abandoned lot in the historic downtown area of the town where he lives. There were efforts to preserve and reconstruct the downtown area for years, but they all fell through due to lack of funding and interest. It has become increasingly clear throughout the novel that funding the library has somehow become the town's one and only priority, to the detriment of every other government-operated institution in town. Driving through town to get to the second destination, Nathan passes Town Hall and remarks to himself that it is unbecoming for a town to have such a dilapidated seat of power, and that the town council should vote to fund remodeling of it as soon as possible. Remembering the title of the tome, The Grimoire of Certain Fortunes, Nathan begins to get excited about the prospects of what might be in this abandoned lot. He had been given a key, and the reasonable explanation of a key is that there will be a treasure on the other side of the lock that the key opens. Though the library is well provided for in terms of funding, little of that manifests as part of Nathan's salary. Certain fortune, as it were, would make Nathan's life comfortable in a way that he had always wished that it had been. Driving as fast as he can to the next location, he almost gets into a car accident, but ultimately makes it there. He excitedly scrounges around the abandoned lot until he finds a trunk with a lock on it. The lock matches the key and he opens it, eager for what is inside. What is inside is a book identical in shape and size to the book that led him there. It is leather-bound and has the words The Grimoire of Certain Fortune on it. Confused but still intrigued, he opens the book to see his name in it again. The contents of the first page quickly materialize to have the same first instruction as the other book, 
go to the fountain and search for a key. Slightly disappointed, but not entirely discouraged, this whole thing being a much more magical universe than he thought that he lived in, he returns to the fountain and finds a key in the porpoise's blowhole. The new grimoire then instructs him to return to the lot and look for the trunk again, which contains a new but identical book, and so on. Playing along with what's expected of him, he completes the cycle four times that night, eventually falling asleep in the dry pool where the porpoise fountain used to deposit its water. He wakes up the next morning as the porpoise fountain starts up for the first time in ages and rusty water sprays all over him. A key pops out from the blowhole and hits him in the face. Groggily, he gets up and begins to complete the cycle again. The quote, certain fortune that the book seemingly promised was not fortune in the sense of making money, but fortune in the sense of forever adhering to a set of predetermined events. That is how the book ends. Of all of Raphael's books, this is the one that felt the most like a parable to me. There seems to be a few morals that the reader can be expected to take away from reading it. Don't pursue riches to the point that it makes you become desperate and scrounging, holding on to cycles of behavior that are detrimental. I would even argue that there is a moral about how narrowly advocating for one issue can cause neglect of broader institutional issues that need addressing, but that isn't as clearly delivered. The prescriptive elements of the grimoire of certain fortune both help and harm the quality of the novella. On one hand, it feels more focused than the longer Muslani novels and has something of a point to it. Nathan does things because it is thematically appropriate for him to do so. This allows the reader to infer some coherence to his actions, which offsets the fantastical elements, which might have proven too chaotic if told in a story where anything could be expected to happen. It successfully narrows the scope of a story that needed to be narrowed in order to be told. The downside to this is that I felt like I have been lectured about something that I already agree with. I do not need to be told that greed is bad or that greed will turn me into something that I don't want to be. It is a common moral in children's stories, and it is something that has been fully interwoven into my character. I do not need these stories as an adult. I prefer a story that is thematically strong but isn't trying to teach me how to live. I could just as easily consult a self-help book if that is what I am looking for. Suddenly, I felt a cold, wet nose press against my knee. Startled, I looked down to see Lucy, the largest cat in the world, looking up at me. I hadn't been looking where I was going, the field still being uniform in all directions. I might have had my eyes closed when she bumped into my knee. Having my eyes closed versus having them open served roughly the same purpose up to this point. I could see her leash, the longest leash in the world, extending far into the distance behind her. She looked at me expectantly. She had a small, shallow box strapped to the harness on her back. Attached to it was a note. I picked up the note and read it. For the unfinished novel, if you still have it, you must be tired of carrying it, signed Raph. I no longer had the unfinished novel, so I had nothing to deposit into the box. Lucy began to walk back the way that she came from, following the leash. She looked over her shoulder to make sure that I was following her. I began to follow Lucy to Raphael's house, to discuss the book that he had given me to read, the book about the fish, the book that I had pitched into the water. 